Welcome to Small Ball Radio. Uh, it is episode four of the podcast, and I'm here. I'm your host, Danny Small. I'm here with another uh, colleague of mine from ESNY. Today we have Kyle Newman. Kyle's going to be talking some Jets stuff with us. Uh, he also does Mets and, you know, basically everything for us. But today we're going to really uh, dive into the Jets stuff. And, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm a huge Jets fan, so this is definitely one podcast that's been on my uh, – on my list for a while, but uh, I guess with with that intro, we'll dive into it. How's how are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. How are you, Danny? I'm good. Good. Nice little uh, Saturday afternoon. It's a little hot out, but uh, but you know I'm I'm ready for the summer weather, so uh, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's certainly nice for it to not be 30 degrees in the middle of like May anymore. Yeah, no, there we had we had that that weird cold front, so I'm I'm uh, not gonna complain about the heat at all. Uh, but yeah, with that said, we'll start. Um, we kind of we talked a little bit about this, you know, in Slack and you know coming into this show. But we'll start with the draft because I know you were very high on some of the guys that the Jets took, and I guess we'll start with the big man. You, I think, uh, what you called him a mountain of a, of a man in your uh, your prospect series. Yeah. Um, your scouting profiles. So let's let's start. Makai Becton, what are your thoughts on him coming in? Yeah, so I absolutely love Makai Becton. I th- I'm pretty sure I had the Jets take him all the way back in January uh, mm-hmm. before he was really on anyone's profile, before he shocked the world with his combine coming in, like 17% body fat despite weighing like 364 pounds and running a 5140 uh, before he uh, pulled his hamstring and had to pull out. But he is just – a phenomenal athlete the the size the strength the speed it's it, it shouldn't be possible for a man his size <laughs> yeah. to, to do to do the things he does but what really stands out to me when you watch him on film is how strong of a finisher he is so if you watch him in the run game what he really loves to do is go out there push get his man on the ground and then keep going either get on top of him to make sure he stays down or just get to the next level uh one of the things he said at the Combine when asked about his style of play was, run behind me and you'll score a touchdown. <laughs> and when you watch, when you watch him play, it, it's really obvious that's what teams do. At Louisville, they moved him from left tackle to right tackle when they're in the red zone simply so they could run behind him on the right side because they knew he was the guy they had to run behind. And it wasn't like he was just dominating lower-level competition. He was dominating guys like Julian Oquara, who went in the third round for Notre Dame. He was throwing around Isaiah Simmons when he played Clemson. Like, he, he, was, ha- he was handling the best players in college football and making them look like children. <laughs> yeah, I think um, – I forget. I mean, and it, I think it was, you know, a bunch of people. But right after the Jets drafted him, I know Baldy was one of them um, and then a few other people. The videos I was seeing, and you brought it up, finishing – you know, just he would get a guy down and then, you know, literally just drop on top of him. Um, it's either that or he's he's getting a guy down and then he's looking out and like, all right, there's the safety going for him. He seems like he's, you know, incredibly physical in that sense. And, it's, of course, you know, his speed allows him to get to the next level. Uh, but one thing I know you've written a lot about this and we've talked about it, but he's not coming in as a very, I guess, um, 
not necessarily like I don't know the word, but not as uh, polished as a pass uh, pass uh, blocker. Is that a fair assessment of him that he's coming in more of like a run guy early on? Yeah, so he's definitely the best run blocker I've ever seen uh, as a scout, at least from the tackle position. Uh, he's just simply uh, unbelievable from that perspective. I compared him as a runner, as a runner like pro ready to Quentin Nelson mm-hmm. at, at parts, just because that's that's the level of physicality and polish as a run blocker you see. But pass blocking, it's a little bit different because he hasn't really had the need to be in a pro passing set. Because at Louisville, they don't really run that kind of offense. Mm-hmm. They, they love their speed. They love to hand the ball off. They love to run option. They love screens, the play action, uh, RPO. They, they don't really run what we consider a pro-style offense, which is kind of moving out of the picture in the NFL too, but we'll, that, that's a different discussion. But yeah. uh, he, he, he had what PFF calls uh, 84 true pass sets. So that's a quarterback taking a snap and dropping back. And, and throwing the football and from those sets he allowed eight pressures which was more pressures alone than the, the other top three allowed throughout their whole season so it's it's, it's a struggle because he doesn't have the technique there because he's he's still raw he's still working you know he's he's only this was his first year as a truly elite offensive lineman at the college level so this isn't really something that he's had to work on and it's going to be a struggle for him his rookie year because he he's not going to have that off-season workout he's going to be able to work with veterans and offensive line coaches uh, like Frank Pollock who helped turn Tyrone Smith into you know one of the elite left tackles of football he doesn't get to work with them until training camp so he, he's, he's a little bit behind the curve there and that's going to be a struggle but I don't think he's as raw as some people believe like there there there's people who are like either Beckton's going to be an all-pro or he's just going to be all and I don't really think that's where it is. I think you're going to see him struggle pass blocking, especially against uh, technique-based uh, pass rushers like guys that the Patriots, like Chase Winovich, are going to throw at you mm-hmm. or the Bills with like Jerry Hughes. But I think if you throw him up against like people who are who are want to beat him with raw strength or speed, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna put him down. Like there's there's no athletic trait that I think you're gonna beat him with one on one. But guys who have that strong technique, like you. Specifically, like you're going to watch in week two against the 49ers, and you're going to see him go up against Nick Bosa. And Nick Bosa mm-hmm. is one of those guys who he's really not, not athletic. It's, it's not what he does. He came in as one of the uh, least athletic pass rushers in his draft class, but he was so dominant in his rookie year because he has all those technical skills built in already that he was just able to beat tackles, you know, basically however he wanted. And Beckton's going to struggle against guys like that because he just doesn't have that base. And, and generally speaking, I mean, I'm not – not saying anything like crazy or making any big, big uh, pronouncement here, but like generally speaking tackles, it's a rough transition to the NFL. You know, it takes, takes them some time to get used to it. I mean, obviously, you know, you have guys like DeBrickershaw Ferguson who eventually turned into, you know, these all pro guys and stuff like that. But on the same, the flip side, you have guys like Eric flowers who, you know, really don't pan out and things like that. But I hope, you know, I hope Becton, I hope you're right about, you know, because we have heard this stuff. Oh, he's either going to be all pro, you know, Hall of Fame, whatever, or he's going to be terrible. I tend to agree with you more that I don't think he's going to be terrible. I think he's just got such physical skill set to be, you know, to, to end up becoming a decent guy at the very worst. Um, but yeah, I, I, I hope it works out. Um, and I guess I'm just going to jump a little bit to a second day guy. Or um, no, third day guy, Cameron Clark, because uh, he's the other offensive tackle that they took. Um, well, I guess 
you can call him an offensive tackle because that's what he played at Charlotte. But I know you have called him more of a developmental guy. Um, so just give us a little bit on, on Clark because one of the big things, obviously, this offseason was fixing the line, rebuilding that line, and Jets got two guys who could potentially be starters down the line. Yeah, so Clark is kind of the opposite of Becton. He's not, he doesn't have the same physical traits, but he's most of the way there technically. And you really saw that, again, when he played Clemson. I think that was the best game tape he, he had. He was very solid. He's really good in the run game. He's powerful, but he lacks the, the foot speed to play tackle. So he would end up, uh, when he was facing those bigger, stronger, faster kind of guys, mm-hmm. he would end up in penalty trouble a lot. Like, it was a huge issue for him. He would hold. Uh, he would grab face masks. He would uh, – he would jump off the line early, Think, things that he just shouldn't be doing. And I think a move to guard will really help him with that because you don't need that uh, speed and footwork that he really that you really have to have at tackle. He can just focus on having that power and, and that technique to push back uh, those interior linemen. And, you know, this isn't the first time he's going to be playing the position. He was an American center in high school. He came in to Charlotte. He was going to play guard, and they moved him over to tackle because that's where the most immediate need was. You know, he only played like eight games in his first year as a starter. He was the offensive MVP of the team without even like that's how uh, valuable he was mm-hmm. to their to their offense. So I think we're going to see him come into the league. I don't think he's going to compete for a starting job this year, though. The Jets uh, at guard are obviously is wide open with uh, Winters, mm-hmm. Van Roten, and. Uh, Lewis not being the strongest, comp- but uh, he definitely needs that time to develop and uh, learn uh, how the NFL technique, because it's obviously a very different thing going from one level to the next. I think by year two or three, you can see him as a, as a potential starter. And I think especially Becton, where the two of them have actually been friends for a while now. Uh, they both work with uh, Duke Mayweather, who is a personal trainer. So, it's, you know, they have that kind of connection. So it'll, kind of chemistry that's comes built in before they even gets the league will really help them work together on, on that offensive line because chemistry is obviously so important uh, for, for a unit that is really not a one position, that one position is not going to make or break it. It's all about how they gel and, and fit together. Yeah, and I, I, th- I, I didn't even realize it until, you know, a little, little bit after the draft, but I didn't realize Becton and Clark were, you know, they knew each other, they're, you know, they're friends and whatnot. Um, that's, I mean, it, maybe it's just it's, I'm putting more into it, but seeing, yeah, those two guys on the, like, hold down the left side of the line for the next, you know, 10 years or so would be, you know, almost like a dream come true. And not quite, you know, DeBrickashaw and Mangold because those were two, you know, first-round high-talent guys. Clark is a little bit lower. But if you can get two starting offensive line, like legit starting offensive linemen in a draft, that's, you know, I don't know if you can really ask for more than that. Um, and now I guess we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball. What about um, what's your what's your take so far on Denzel Mims? We know he dropped a little bit um, and kind of fell into the Jets lap when they made that trade uh, to kind of pick up a few more picks uh, later on. Um, but yeah, I, I from me, you know, not a not someone who looks at NFL guys as like a scouting, you know, perspective. I'm looking at it more of like a fan. I think Mims, you know, I don't see how he, how he fell that much. Cause to me, he, he's a physical guy. He can kind of make all the plays. He's not necessarily like the fastest guy or the most athletic guy, but he can do a lot of different things. Um, and just, yeah, from my perspective, I'm, I'm really high on him, but I'm interested to hear what you have to say. 
So I had a first grade on Mims. I thought he was either going to be headed to uh, Philadelphia, who obviously took a, a, a kind of similar prospect in Jalen Rager. I think Mims is, uh, you know, he's obviously bigger, more athletic, a little bit more physical. So I was a little surprised to see them go, go with Rager before him, especially considering uh, Rager didn't have the greatest numbers at, at, uh, at CU. And at uh or if they pass him i really thought the vikings would be there but of course with justin jefferson still being there for, for the vikings it was, it was kind of a no-brainer uh and then when i saw him the second round i definitely didn't think he would be there at 48 uh just seeing who was left on the board and then he just kept falling and then we get and then we mm-hmm. trade back to, to 59 with him on the board and he just continues to fall and i think there's two very obvious reasons for the fall that uh the first being that Denzel Mims ran the nine route or the streak uh, more than any receiver in college football. Like he, mm-hmm. his job in that, in that Baylor offense was run straight and run fast and we'll get you the ball. That, that was basically what he did for the majority of his time there. And the other is uh, his hands. So his uh, sophomore year, he had a broken hand and he dropped 10 passes. Then last year he came back, he was healthy and he still dropped five. So he cut that number in half, but, Obviously, the drops are a little bit of a concern for teams. And when you have a guy who is uh, super strong, super athletic, he, he, his route tree might not be fully developed and he has a little bit of hands issues, that's going to – those are kind of some red flags for you. I know Jets fans might be screaming to themselves like, hey, didn't we just do this with Stephen Hill like about a decade mm-hmm. ago? Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't think he's, he's Stephen Hill kind of raw because Stephen Hill came out of that Georgia Tech offense – where they really don't throw the football. It's like triple yeah, option. So it, the wide receivers are essentially just like blockers in that offense, it yeah. feels like. Uh, yeah, unless you're, unless you're Demarius Thomas or, or uh, Calvin or, Johnson. Cal- you're, yeah, you're, not, you're not really doing anything exactly. that you like offense. Uh, so, like, Denzel Mims comes from Baylor and that Big 12, which is also another concern for some teams, mm-hmm. you know, because the Big 12 is air raid offense kind of stuff. And when you did go up against those elite corners like Jeff Gladney and TCU, uh, he kind of struggled a little bit, though – as Matt Rule called him one of the, the most clutch players you could imagine, if you go back and rewatch that TCU game, he doesn't really have the greatest numbers, but he does score the game-tying and the game-winning touchdown in overtime in, in those games. So he has that kind of uh, red zone and uh, clutch factor that you have and does that against, you know, first-round cornerback Jeff Gladney. So I think when you're looking at him, you're, you're really hoping, first of all, he can beat press coverage because when he faced press coverage, he kind of tended to struggle. Then you watch his, his tape from the senior bowl, and he's destroying press coverage left and right against these corners. So I don't know if it was a level of talent that was, that was an issue for him or if it was just that he wasn't asked to do those things. Maybe he was supposed to eat that press coverage so that the safety would come down or so that the quarterback could uh, have room to roll out, you know, whatever it was. Uh, or it could have just been that, you know, Mims struggled and then he, during the offseason and right before the uh, senior bowl, he really figured it out. Uh, the other thing uh, that is a real struggle is the route running. Uh, he really runs slants well. He runs he runs the streak really well. Um, other than that, it's it's kind of a little bit of a struggle because you, you really want to get him in space with that 4-3-8 speed. Uh, so you're kind of just looking for uh, ways to get the ball in his hands. Uh, for Adam Gase's offense, he tends to prefer those big physical receivers as his uh, as his Y guys, you know, with Demarius Thomas in mm-hmm. Denver, then Alshon Jeffrey in Chicago, and then Devontae Parker in Miami. Denzel Mims kind of fits that mold with Brashad Perriman uh, fitting the X role that he that he really likes. I think he had like guys like Kenny Stills and uh, Kenny Stills run. So it'll it'll be it'll be interesting because he he has that trio of receivers he likes for his offense now. 
So he has to develop Denzel Mims into the kind of guy he wants. So it'll be interesting to see how physical he wants him to get. And I'm going to really look to see the, the effect that a guy like Heinz Ward has on him. Heinz Ward being the Jets assistant wide receiver coach was one of the most physical wide receivers mm-hmm. of, of his era. Yeah, ever. So probably. I, I really, I really want to see if Heinz Ward can get that physicality out of him uh, that, that you're really looking for. And if Sean Jefferson, who was one of the best route runners of his era, can get over to Denzel Mims and really break, break him down so that we can start seeing more. I don't really expect a big year one from him. I really think we're going to see a lot more of Chris Herndon and Jameson Crowder. But I think moving forward, the hope is that Denzel Mims could eventually, uh, maybe it's not year one, maybe it's year two or year three. I know Demarius Thomas, for instance, who I've talked about a lot here, who I think really comps well to Denzel Mims, didn't have his first 1,000-yard season until year three. So I I think you could be looking at something like that where it could be a long kind of painful development for Mims. But I think by by the time you're done with it, you could have a number one receiver. And if you don't, you're at least going to have someone who you can rely on as a red zone threat and who has the speed to make someone miss or to make something happen in the open field. Yeah. And I think just, just the fact that, you know, we, we mentioned this, but just the fact that they traded down and they were still able to get a guy, you know, with Mims upside and, you know, his talent, and then they, you know, recoup all those later picks in the draft, you know, where they, you know, obviously, um, you know, kind of went to start filling some holes in different spots and things like that. And I guess I'll just uh, – we'll stick with the offense here uh, and just we'll cover these guys. But what do you uh, – Michael P. Ryan kind of – I mean, now what they had the Frank Gore signing, it looks a little different. But at the time when they drafted P. Ryan, you're thinking, okay, like, uh, you know, a, a secondary option to Le'Veon Bell. Uh, obviously, I know he's kind of similar to the way Bell is as a back, so it's not a huge change of pace. Uh, but what are your thoughts on P. Ryan coming in? He's actually the, the second of uh, Flo- of the two Florida guys that got taken by the Jets, yeah. but we'll get more to Zuniga later. So uh, with P. Ryan, I, my comp for him, like his top-end ceiling, would probably be someone like James Conner. The athletic traits are like almost identical. They're both these kind of powerful but sneaky athleticism runners who can uh, – make themselves known in the passing game. I don't think you ever want a guy like P. Ryan to be your workhorse back. Like, I, I don't think he's ever going to be that guy. But I think if you put him as part of, like, a, a running back by committee approach, mm-hmm. I think he works really well. Because with a lot of running back by committees, you'll see teams split it up, and you'll have, like, a receiver, a speed back, and a power back. And then, like, defenses will have to adjust based on who's out there. P. Ryan can kind of fit all three of those roles to a certain extent, especially as a receiver and a, uh, and a power back. I think he has to work on his blocking. That's going to be a really big issue because if you're going to be a receiving back, you have to be able to block well. And I, we don't talk about it a lot, but one of the things Le'Veon Bell does really well is pass block. He's just phenomenal at it. Bilal Powell as mm-hmm. well was a phenomenal pass blocker. It's what made them really special. It kind of what differentiates them from like Leon Washington. So if you go back and you go, go back to like when the Jets had Leon Washington, then they have a couple of years there with Sean Green and Damian Tomlinson or Thomas Jones. And like he, and then you get, you draft a law pal. You can kind of see the difference where Leon Washington's role was kind of as a speed back to the outside and the occasional like third down back role where he would immediately break out. It was rare for him to stay in and block and then break out. And, but if you look at Bilal Powell, his role was different. He was a change of pace. He would come in on passing downs. He could stay in and block. He could go. He could uh, break off the edge. He could 
go up the middle in between the tackles. And it was kind of a different, a different pace. And you can see how Leon Washington, as his career went on, ended up being more of a special teams uh, expert and kind of mm-hmm. lost that running back role, whereas Bilal Powell became more used as a running back as time went on, especially when, you know, the Jets had that uh, committee a couple years ago with him and Crowell. Uh, you could see those two really worked well together. Crowell obviously uh, had injuries slow him down towards the end, but he, he set a Jets rushing record on like 17 carries against Denver one game. And then Bilal Powell had, you know, his fair share of like 100-yard all-purpose games. Mm-hmm. And it kind of worked like that. And I think that's the kind of role you want for T. Ryan towards the end of the line. I think you're looking at him to be someone like that Bilal Powell mold of a running back. And yeah, and I think just, I mean, from what we know about Gase and, you know, how he likes to run his offense and obviously the reports that, you know, he wasn't completely on board with, um, with Le'Veon Bell, I feel like Pirine is more the kind of the back that Gase wants, kind of like an interchangeable, um, you know, just somebody who can, who can do a little bit of everything, not, you know, a star that you're going to be giving, a, you know, a huge paycheck to like they did with Bell. More of like, uh, you know, kind of what the, the Niners did last year with, you know, just having a, these, you know, guys who aren't necessarily huge names, but, you know, guys who just come in, they produce, you know, you put them in good, good situations and, you know, try and get the best out of them and then use that money, you know, elsewhere to, you know, fix up other parts of the offense. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I'm interested to see with Piran. Obviously, they got kind of a three-headed monster in the backfield now, um, signing Gore. But I think Piran, he's an interesting he's an interesting guy to me. And, you know, fourth rounder, you want to hit on guys like that. But it's not like they're reaching on anyone, you know, crazy high. I thought it was decent value um, for Piran at that spot, at least. I think they overdrafted Piran a little bit. Uh, I, think they, I think they really wanted – uh, a quarterback there. I really think they wanted Jacob Eason there because he fits the mold. He, he's, he's the big strong arm quarterback that, uh, that really kind of struggled with the mental side of the game, uh, but was, you know, had a higher upside of potential starting quarterback. And I think that's really kind of wanted uh, to take, to take him. But of course, uh, after uh, making their first selection in the fourth round and then coming back to P Ryan, uh, they, they, they kind of lost that opportunity because, uh, he goes to picks early, so mm-hmm. they, they they were kind of they were kind of stuck, and then they jump on uh, James Morgan later, who is you know a similar mold but a much much worse track record and mm-hmm. from a much worse school. So you know that, that that kind of threw things off, and then I don't really know what kind of role P Ryan is going to have in his rookie year because as much as Gase doesn't like to have a single running back carry his load he can do it his one year he made the playoffs in my he had a uh i carry that offense to, to the playoffs and he of course trades jay ajayi like eight games in the next year because of character concerns whatever it was uh but he he, he likes that committee approach but even last year bell kind of carried it by himself Ty Montgomery and Bilal Powell had something had less than like 60 carries combined. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not like they were getting a lot of work, but so, so we'll see, because I think when he spells Bell, he's going to want that power back in Frank Gore, which is also an interesting fit because Le'Veon Bell is best in short yard situations because he's so good at avoiding the yardage. They seem to find a way to get a yard or two. So to have a power back come in for that kind of stuff is a little interesting and kind of contradictory. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see what the Jets do here. I just hope 
Gase lets Bell outside the tackles more this year because there was a lot of plug up the middle last year when he was running the football. It was like plug up the middle or we'll run like a screen to get you out wide or whatever it was. And it, it kind of limited Bell's options. And it was part of the reason why the Jets had, had the least amount of yardage before contact running backs last year. Like Le'Veon Bell mm-hmm. only got about a yard and a half before contact was made last year. So, you know, it, it, it's an issue. Uh, the Jets didn't really add run blockers this offseason outside of Mekhi Becton. So it'll be interested to see uh, how they want to do it. I really think they want to throw the ball a lot this year. Le'Veon Bell was the Jets' third leading receiver last year. He had a, like close to 500 yards or over 500 yards, something around there. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how they use their running backs because I, I don't think uh, Adam Gates really likes running backs all that much, if I'm being honest. So I, I, th- I think he can't wait to get rid of Bell next year so that he can build his, uh, his committee. Yeah, I think, you know, and I, I like Bell. You know, he's said and done all the right things since coming, you know, to New York and everything. I, I mean, I think he's a stand-up guy. Um, and I think he's obviously a really talented player. But I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, he wasn't necessarily someone Gase wanted to bring in and, you know, he didn't want to spend the money there, which makes things kind of awkward, I guess. Um, but like you said, They've got, you know, the three guys. They've got a committee now. We'll see what happens this year. After this year, I, I would be I, – I don't know if, like I, – I don't know if they're definitely going to get rid of him, but it would, it would seem like that way unless something, you know, drastically changes this year. Um, but let's – you mentioned Morgan a little bit, James Morgan, the uh, QB from FIU. Uh, it was not, not something that surprised us because I know you had, you had talked a little bit about him leading up to the draft and how the Jets were targeting him. Um, or could have been targeting him, you know, whatever the semantics are. But you were you were on Morgan before the draft, and especially now they have Flacco, so it's kind of a similar you know situation to Piran. You draft you draft a young guy, and then you bring in the vet um, to really be the backup. Uh, what's your take on Morgan? Are we going to see anything from him this year, uh, or is he, is he just going to be kind of someone they're just working on, stash him away, and then hopefully have him as the the long term backup or What's uh, yeah? I don't. That's not even a question, but take it away because, uh, yeah, you're the Morgan we'll see, expert. We'll yeah, we'll see. We'll see James Morgan in preseason. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. He'll probably be the backup to start the year because Joe Flacco is coming back in surgery, and he probably will not be ready until a couple weeks into the year. So you know, Morgan is going to be in in that role. Um, but he's he's similar to Joe Flacco in a lot of ways. From, he comes from a small school. He went to FIU. Flacco went to Delaware. Both uh, kind of statuesque quarterbacks with big arms who uh, are well-known for their leadership and, uh, and football IQ. Like, they're very studious kind of guys. So I, I think, I think uh, Joe Douglas, who was the guy in Baltimore who pounded the table for Joe Flacco uh, way back when, kind of sees a lot of that in James Morgan and sees potential starting quarterback traits but probably more long-term backup out of him. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, James Morgan in preseason because I don't think they're going to want to run Darnold out there a lot because because of the injury stuff and because the offensive line is obviously going to be a work in progress. But that could change because we've had such a small off-season workout that we might need more reps mm-hmm. from uh, starters this, this year than we've seen uh, in years past. So – I really don't think we're going to see a lot of James Morgan this year outside of preseason, but 
he's definitely someone to keep an eye on throughout training camp and things like that. Listen for reports because I'm sure they're going to want to get him reps with everybody. Um, and I certainly think uh, he was someone who is a very strange fit for the Jets because he's not your typical Adam Gase kind of quarterback. Adam Gase likes more mobile guys. He likes guys who can, you know, escape the pocket, make the plays that they want. Um, the only time that really didn't work was with Peyton Manning, who was obviously towards the end of his career, very statuesque with doing what he did. But even then it was very quick paced offense. You know, we want to get, we want to get moving. Uh, so it, it'll, it'll be interesting. Like James Morgan had over negative 100 rushing yards in his college football career. Cause if, if you don't know sacks in college mm-hmm. football count yeah. as negative rushing yards. So he, so he, he's not running the football. He's going to stand in the pocket and he's going to throw it and he could, throw it 50, 60 yards down the field. Maybe the Jets use him as sort of a Hail Mary quarterback towards the end of games because Sam Darnold doesn't have the, the, the kind of arm that allows him to throw the ball 65 yards down the field like Morgan does. So I, I, I really don't think we're going to see a lot from him, and I really don't think he's going to be more than a backup in his career. If that wouldn't surprise me if Morgan is out of the league in a couple of years simply because he, he never found that groove uh, coming in. Uh, but it also wouldn't surprise me if the Jets view him as as a long-term backup option who could potentially push Sam Darnold because, of course, Darnold only has two more years on his contract. This is going to be his, his his third year, then he's going to have his fourth year after that, and will the Jets pick up that fifth-year option? Based on what we've seen so far, you know, it, it's it's certainly in question. I, I love Darnold. I think he has that superstar franchise quarterback potential, but he only re- he only has one more year to prove that before the Jets have to pick up that fifth-year option. And I think James Morgan not is kind of a hedge against that so the Jets don't have to immediately go back into the pool with a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance if Darnold does have a down year next year. Yeah, I think for me at least, the, you know, the perfect scenario would be something similar to like what the, the Pats did with Garoppolo with the obvious difference being instead of, you know, Brady kind of being on the, the end of his career almost be more, you know, Darnold in the beginning of his career. So if Darnold, you know, has a great year, it's like, okay, you know, definite franchise quarterback. He's staying. We're picking up the option. All that. Darnold is great. And then Morgan shows some stuff in preseason and, you know, starts getting that rep of, you know, when when you have those backup quarterbacks who people are starting to say, oh, he might be a starter one day. You can flip him for, you know, a third-round pick or a second-round pick. Obviously, that's uh, that's optimistic on my part to, to, to hope for that. But I think that is kind of, you know, where I see the Jets having, like, you know – possibly getting huge value out of Morgan is, you know, flipping him for, you know, for a, a premium draft pick, you know, day two type thing next year. Well, actually it'll probably be a couple of years down the line, but that's kind of just where my head's at. But that's those, those types of plays are so, um, I feel like those, like those moves rarely happen The Jimmy Garoppolo's. Yeah. I don't think Joe Douglas wants to make that kind of move. I think he wants an elite backup quarterback. Because mm-hmm. Joe Douglas has been part of two organizations that won Super Bowls with backup quarterbacks. He, he, he was part of the Ravens when Trent Dilfer wins them mm-hmm. a Super Bowl in 2000 against the Giants. And he was part of the Eagles when Nick Foles does it for, does it for the Eagles uh, against point. the Patriots. So I think he really values a backup quarterback. He knows if there, that your quarterback is going to go to ha- – how many starting quarterbacks went down in the NFL last year? Eight? Nine? Went due to injury last year? Like the Steelers – went eight and eight with uh, Mason Rudolph and Delvin Hodges, if they have a legitimate backup quarterback option in there, 
what happened to them. The Chiefs lost Patrick Mahomes for two games, and Matt Moore comes in, and he, he goes one and one against the Packers and Vikings, two of the best defenses in football. So I, the value of a backup quarterback in this league is uh, higher than most fans think. Uh, they, they're really you, – you need someone who can go in there and win a game. The Jets have gone 0-6 in games where Darnold has missed, has, hasn't played, and they haven't won a, back, a game uh, since Bryce Petty was playing in 2015 with a backup quarterback in there. Like, they, you can't go five years without a backup quarterback winning football mm-hmm. unless your starting quarterback is in there playing every game. Is, like, yeah, the Eli, Eli Manning Ironman or something like that. But, yeah, you need, you need a competent backup. That's, that's a good point. I, I wasn't really qu- thinking about that. But, yeah, the Jets, I mean – the last two years they've been, you know, without Darnold, it's been, you know, it's a mess with Darnold even, but without him, it's even a bigger mess. One touchdown in three games without him last year. And that was after uh, defense, the defense caused a turnover and Vincent Smith, who I think was in his first game with us at that, at that point, took an 18 yard end around to, to, mm-hmm. to the house. So it wasn't even Luke Falk doing anything. Like he didn't even get the chance to throw the football in that game. Yeah, that was – and then, you know, you had Simeon going down, then you had Luke Falk. That was just uh, – it, it was like a, a disaster waiting to happen. And then, of course, you know, Darnold, he actually, like, in terms of, like, injuries, he was pretty good last year. And I know he had – you know, he had – was it something with his hand or his thumb, like, towards the end yeah, of the year? He had a torn ligament in his thumb after the Jaguars game. Mm-hmm. So – and then he – and then after that game, he goes 6-2 and two the rest of the year with a torn ligament in his thumb having – maybe the best stretch of his career. I think he was 10th in the NFL in passer rating those last eight games, which, you know, we can put a giant asterisk next to just based on the teams he played, like the Giants and Redskins, who but, aren't, aren't, aren't the greatest. He didn't face the best slate of defenses. But this is the second straight year we've seen this stuff out of Darnold. He, like, he was in his last four games in uh, 2018 against teams like the Packers and the Texans, who were, like, playoff bound. He was – I think he was PFF's best quarterback over the last four weeks yeah, of the season. The, the Texans game especially was – I was at that game. He was he was phenomenal. He, he looked – watching, like, at that game being in MetLife, I was – that was the first time I was like, holy shit, like, I think the Jets got, like, a, a stud here. Because he – I mean, and the Texans, like, they're, they're really good defense, you know. Like, they were they were legit that year. And Darnold, he looked, he looked fantastic that game. Yeah, they, they probably would have beaten that Texans team uh, if not for DeAndre Hopkins deciding that mm-hmm. they weren't going to lose the last drive of, of, the, yeah. of the game. And the same with the Packers. He went toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers and went, and went to overtime. He threw four touchdowns in that game. So it's, it's not like he doesn't have the talent. It's there. Uh, and you can especially see it when the offensive line is there. When, when it, him and when the Jets had both him and starting left tackle Kelvin Beecham in last year, they went 7-3. and three. And one of those losses was a game they led 16-0. So it's, it's, it's clear that he, he, he needs something. He can't be pressured 40% of the time like he was last year. It's, it's just absurd to expect any quarterback in the NFL to be able to, to compete at a high level when they can't even drop back before they have someone in their face. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see now that we have a revamped offensive line to see if Sam Darnold can, will get the time to stand in the pocket. Uh, I have my doubts because the chemistry isn't really there. George Fant couldn't beat out guys like Jermaine Effetti in Seattle on one of the worst offensive lines in football. Mm. Uh, Connor McGovern was kind of average to below average before his switch to center last year. He kind of broke out. Brian Winters is obviously 
you know, he's okay when he's healthy, but he's rarely ever healthy. Uh, Alex Lewis was one of the worst offensive uh, guards in football last year. And Becton, of course, is a rookie, and we've talked about his issues with pass blocking before. So it's, it's not the most cohesive line. The, the Jets can hope that they kind of have that same jump that Buffalo did last year, going from one of the worst to, like, a solidly below average offensive line. And that would be a big help to Darnold. But it's, it's, it's a real big issue because when he sacked twice, twice or less, he's 11-5. and five. And when he sacked four times or more, he's 0-6. Like, if we get him a pocket, he can win football games, even with lesser talent around him. And that's, yeah, that's why, I mean, just jumping back to kind of the, the Becton pick, there were a lot of people, a lot of Jets fans who were really, really hoping they went with Judy or Ruggs or, you know, Lamb, one of the, one of the main wide receivers at the top. But I think a quarterback can get more out of a guy like Mims and Perriman and Crowder. Like those guys will, their, their play will be elevated as long as he's got a clean pocket and he, you know, he's not getting sacked on every play. I think just the, Fixing the offensive line is something they obviously had to do before they fixed the wide receiver group. Yeah. I think the offensive line was a huge need. We, like, it needed to be fixed. And uh, with the uh, wide receivers around, I don't think you're going to get a ton of production here. Harriman is a huge question mark. He was a, a draft bust. He was awful his first, uh, his first couple years. And out of nowhere, the last, like, five games of last season, he was the best receiver in football. Like, he was on pace to put up something like 1,600 yards uh, over a 16-game stretch in that five games, during those five games. So it's, it, it was quite the sight to see. But that's the Tampa Bay offense. You mm-hmm. know, this isn't yeah. the first time they've inflated a wide receiver's numbers. Uh, Adam Humphreys was a superstar in Tampa Bay. He went for, like, almost 900 receiving yards as, like, the third option there. And then a lot of Jets fans were pounding the table for him in free agency in 2018. He goes to Tennessee. I don't even think he put up 300 yards of offense last year. So it'll it'll be interesting to see what Perriman does because I really think he's, he's going to be a deep threat. And I think he can take that Robbie Anderson role, though it'll be interesting because him and uh, Darnold don't have that chemistry that, that Darnold had with Anderson. Um, and, of course, Denzel Mims being a rookie is, you know, we talked about I don't really think he's going to explode onto the scene. So we're going to see a lot of Jamison Crowder this year again, who was uh, on pace for over 1,000 yards and then kind of sputtered to, towards the end of the season. Uh, and uh, Chris Herndon coming back is going to be absolutely huge for this offense. Chris Herndon and Sam Darnold had some wicked chemistry his rookie year. Uh, he looked like one of the top uh, 10 wide uh, tight ends in football. He can block. He can catch. And then last year, you know, he has the, the, the suspension and then the two injuries that kind of uh, ruin him. But hope, the idea is that he can hopefully come back and him and Ryan Griffin can kind of be those kind of safety blankets for Sam Darnold. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot, especially of Chris Herndon uh, in, in 2020. Yeah, I think, I think Herndon's a guy that, that obviously, you know, needs to step up just considering, you know, kind of the, the state of the wide receiver core. Um, but we've given we've given a lot of love to the offense so far. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. So the, the three guys here, you got Ashton Davis in round three from Cal. You got Jabari Zuniga in round three from Florida. And then you've got Bryce Hall, fifth round from Virginia. Out of those three guys, because I think all three of them are going to have a you know le- legitimate chance to get some playing time this year. Um, maybe Davis less just considering the other guys they have at safety. But out of those three guys, who's the one that you think is going to make the biggest impact in year one? 
I think it's hard to say. So I think Jabari Zuniga could end up being the starter on that uh, defensive line just because you're going to see the Jets base, the Jets base defense that, you know, we, we like four, three, three, four is a three, four, but the Jets primary, primary defensive set is a four, two, five, which is uh, four down linemen, two linebackers and five defensive backs. Uh, they love having Brian Poole out there in a kind of cornerback safety uh, kind of split. And Greg Williams refuses to take his two uh, inside linebackers off the field. Even last year with all the injuries, James Burgess, Neville Hewitt, Blake Cash, when they, all, they, when they played, they were playing 99 to 100% of snaps every game. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to look at a guy like Jabari Zuniga and his big competition to play edge rusher is going to be guys like Kyle Phillips, who came out of nowhere. He was an undrafted free agent last year, and he actually led the Jets defensive lineman in snaps played last year. And uh, Terrell Basham, who, uh, you know, kind of had that decent pass rush productivity, but he's not really a strong pass rusher uh, from a sacks perspective, and he's certainly not the strongest uh, run defender. So I think you're going to see Jabari Zuniga definitely compete and could potentially be a day one starter for the Jets, uh, though I think there's issues there with, with uh, injury concern and a lot of athleticism over technique uh, kind of issues that you're going to see. But I think he could definitely start. And I think Bryce Hall right now might actually be the favorite to be the cornerback too in what is uh, just a ginormous wide open competition. Here to see is going to be the, the number one corner here. But then opposite him, you have guys like Quincy Wilson, who they just traded a sixth round pick for. Uh, Les Austin, who was kind of a revelation last year and then got benched for the last game and a half after allowing uh, a touchdown to Deontay Johnson at the end of the first half of the Steelers game. Uh, Arthur Mollette kind of came out of nowhere to be a decent uh, option last year. So it's it's going it's going there's a giant jumble at that cornerback too that I don't really think the Jets are satisfied with either. You know, they there's obviously been talks about someone like Logan Ryan. Uh, uh, they were connected to Prince Mukamara before he signed with Oakland. Uh, guys like Darquez Denard are still out there in free agency. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Jets went out and got a cheap option to take that spot. But I think out of the guy on the roster right now, Bryce Hall is probably the favorite for that spot simply because the talent level is outstanding. Before his uh, ankle injury, uh, he was a first-round talent. He has uh, decent athleticism, not not the greatest. Uh, and that was before the injury, so we'll see how, how that holds up. But he's super smart. He's super physical. He fits that zone defense that Greg Williams wants to run to a T. Uh, he can he can press if, if need be. Uh, and I, I just think from a talent perspective, if he is 100% healthy, he's, he's just the best guy there. Uh, even if he doesn't have the most uh, experience. Okay. And then, yeah, I think, you know, the, the whole stuff you and I, we've talked about him. I know you were, you were pretty high on him earlier, you know, coming into the draft. Um, I think, you know, the, his fit with Williams is a big thing. And then, you know, obviously things can go bad because injury concerns are, you know, they're legit. He, he had a really bad injury, but he's a first round talent with a fifth round injury concern. Um, it made sense to make the pick, made sense to uh, bring him in. And if he can be, you know, cornerback two on the outside, that would be, you know, stealing a starting level corner in the fifth round of the draft would be, you know, incredible. But I'm just going to transition a little bit more to another guy in the, the defensive backfield, Ashton Davis, because there's obviously when, when he got picked, obviously the first thing people thought was they're getting rid of Jamal Adams it actually makes more sense that they would want to get rid of Marcus May eventually, um, sign Adams to that long-term deal, 
and then have a younger guy rather than, you know, Marcus May, he's going to have to get paid at some point too. Um, so to me, it just made sense for taking Davis for that. And even now, I mean, you can speak to this kind of stuff better than I can. Um, but Davis seems like a very versatile guy where I, since they have so many corners, I doubt we see him play too much corner, but you know, single high safety type thing where they can move Adams and may around that seems to be his, uh, his potential role now. Yeah. So he's going to play uh, what we call the money backer role. So uh, you see a lot of Jamal Adams playing this. He's going he's gonna to be in a deep safety. He's going to play a little bit of linebacker like he did at Cal. Uh, he's going to swap over to corner. Like he, he's going to play that kind of role where he's kind of everywhere on the field. Uh, there's, an old, there's an adage that goes out there like Greg Williams wants all of his defensive players to at least two positions because he wants to be able to move you wherever he wants. And you play a lot of 4-2-5 like the Jets do you're going to want to get guys who can swap out and move all over the field. It's one of the reasons why Ryan Poole worked out so well in, in this offense, because he was so great in zone, in zone coverage that he was often asked to drop back into, into a cover two so that Jamal Adams could come up and he could play linebacker, rush the passer without the Jets losing that, uh, that coverage in, in the back. And adding Ashton Davis to that is going to add an, another component to that, where I think you're going to – where Williams could say – take off Avery Williamson and say, Jamal Adams, you're going to go play inside linebacker. Or you could take off Jordan Jenkins or Kyle Phillips or Jamari Zuniga and say, Jamal Adams, you can get, come down and play, uh, and play edge rusher. Or he can move out wide and he can go out and play boundary corner, which he did a little bit in 2019, or slot corner. And Ashton Davis is kind of going to be that chess piece where he can go out. He can play single high. And Marcus May, who's maybe the hardest hitter on the team, is going to be able to come down and play in a little bit more run support than he usually does. Or you're going to be able to see uh, Brian Poole play a lot more man coverage in the slot this year. Or you're going to be able to see Ashton Davis come down and he'll be able to play uh, some cornerback and allow Brian Poole to be more of a free roam guy. And it just, it just makes the defense so much more versatile. I don't think you're going to see him play a ton of snaps, especially early. But I think you're going to see a lot of three safety sets from the Jets, which is becoming uh, more prominent in the NFL. Uh, and you're, going to, you're definitely going to see – uh, a lot of that mis mismatching. Basically, if if you're going to see a team who runs a lot of two tight end sets, you're going to see a lot of you know Adams and Davis so that they can man up two tight ends and Marcus May can still play that. Or you're going to, or if you run up against a team that likes to have like four receivers wide, you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of uh, three corner sets, and you're going to have Acton Davis go out so that Jamal Adams can stay at the middle of that defense. And it's kind of uh, mismatching that uh, Greg Williams likes. It's one of the reasons he likes Logan Ryan so much because if you've read up on the reports and everything, it's not so much that the Jets love Logan Ryan as a potential like number two cornerback. It's that they like Greg Williams really likes the versatility he brings because he has played outside and inside and he does have the, the talent to play safety much versatility to the offense that he's able to match up, you know, kind of his cornerbacks and safeties wherever he wants on the field and get the matchups he feels is best. And, you know, that's supremely important when you don't have the talent that you really uh, look for from, from your corners here. And it's one of the reasons why, um, despite everything last year, Greg Williams was able to turn a not-so-talented Jets defense into one of the top 10 defenses in football. And I think Ashton Davis is kind of going to be that, that guy who roams around, plays – you know, maybe like 20 or 30% of defensive snaps, just, you know, everywhere on the field. Uh, 
moving forward though, I, I don't really know who he replaces. I don't think he replaces Jamal Adams. I don't really think he's the kind of guy who's going to be able to come down and blitz or if he's going to be the guy who you want uh, playing linebacker often because the tackling is a little bit of a concern uh, as he comes into the league. But it wouldn't surprise me because uh, this is the last year of the contract uh, for both uh, Marcus May and Brian Poole, I'm pretty sure. They're both on their mm-hmm. fourth year yeah. now. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Jets said, hey, we really like Marcus May, so let's extend him, and then we can extend him and Jamal Adams, and we have you know, one of the best safety tandems in football for the next five years. Uh, and they say, Ashton Davis, we want you to come down and play cornerback where he played at Cal for two years. It also wouldn't surprise me if they say, hey, Brian Poole, you had a breakout year for us in 2019. You played really well again in 2020. We'll see if that happens. Uh, and we want you back. And Marcus May, we're going to let you go. And then Ashton Davis comes up and he plays single high safety where his uh, track star athlete uh, 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 past will allow him to kind of free roam and kind of take advantage of that area. Uh, but yeah, I really don't think this pick has anything really to do with uh, Jamal Adams. I think this is more of uh, Greg Williams, like versatile guys. And we had uh, Ashton Davis uh, high on our board. I think Joe Douglas said this is a guy who, if he had run at the combine, he didn't do to injury. Uh, if he had run at the combine, that they think he would have gone in the back half of the first round. So like they were really high on Ashton mm-hmm. Davis. So I think they were just like, this is too, the, the value is too good more than saying anything about anyone on the team in particular. That that made sense. Um, yeah, because it obviously, you know, there was the Adam stuff going on there. But I think once everyone kind of like took a second to to breathe and, and think about it, it made more sense that, you know, he's a Greg Williams type guy. And then, you know, more insurance for, you know, like you said, May and Poole and things like that, more insurance for that rather than, uh, than just for Jamal Adams. Um, and I guess – the one this this was another one that I think this is the last person we have to talk about in the Jets draft, um, but someone you tipped me off to, uh, Braden Mann, the punter from Texas A and M. You were you were very, uh, I, and I think we can even go back in our mock drafts um, and look at it. I think you were right on right on the ball here with the Jets taking Mann in the sixth round. Uh, I remember I texted my dad and my brother the you know an hour before the the third day started and I was like keep an eye on James Morgan and Braden Mann that you know Jets are going to go after both of them and they both thought I was like the you know the smartest guy in the world so thank you for uh for for helping me out there because usually I'm not I'm not great at the uh like the mock draft and and predictions yeah. and things like that um but yeah Braden Mann obviously set records at Texas A&M was you know just has a booming leg um but what do you what do you see from him what do you, what do you think he's going to come in and do well Braden Mann is a very obvious uh guy who's going to be a starter uh, for the Jets mm-hmm. it's, it's real clear like last week they or two weeks ago they just caught Ian Berryman so like they, they're so they they're they like Braden Mann so much that they aren't even going to bring in competition for him that that's that's how highly they think of him uh, and I think I think it's warranted because Braden Mann has a huge leg I think he, he, his record punt was something like 89 yards, which is just absurd. And he did that against Clemson. Uh, he also has uh, the NCAA record, or I think he did. I think someone actually broke it this past year uh, for punting average in a game. He punted five times against Alabama, and it was like for 61 yards average, which is just absurd. Uh, and he does all this in, like, 2018 as a junior on his route to being an All-American, the Ray Guy winner. And 
he comes back in 2019 and the stats kind of dip because he really wanted to focus on directional punting. So for those who don't know much about punting, there's kind of two parts to it. There's the part where you're trying to, you know, boot the ball as far as you can because you're on your own 20-yard line. And then there's the part where you're on your 40 or 50-yard line and you're trying to pin your opponent at the two or three-yard line. You don't, want, you don't want the touchback and you don't want to give them free yardage by giving them a spot at like the 15 or 20-yard or line because it just makes it so much easier for that offense to get into a rhythm when they're not backed up. And the Jets really struggled with that. Like Lachman Edwards was really, really good with his hang time. Uh, he was one of the best in the NFL. His, his uh, average punt compared to his net average was something like only two or three yards off. So he was, he was one, of those, one of the worst average punters. Like his leg was pretty awful. But from a hang time and net average perspective, he was actually like towards the top, the top half of the league. So it was one of those things where, it's, where he was really good at one particular part of punting, and then the other two parts where, you know, booming the part, booming and pinning opponents in the 20, he was really bad. Like, I think he only pinned opponents in the 20, like 20 or something percent of the time, which is just not acceptable. And it's kind of why he's a free agent right now. Braden Mann, in his record setting year, pinned opponents back about 33% of the time, which is around league average, maybe towards the top 10, something around there. But then in his really down year in 2019, where the averages came shooting down from like 51 average, to like 46, and his net average came shooting down from like 46 to like 38 or whatever it was, something around 40. Uh, he pinned opponents in like 40% of the time. So he, he, he did a really good job of, of uh, pinning opponents deep. And he really, really worked hard on that. And I think the thing you're, you're really going to have to look out for this year is the hang time, because that's the one thing people are really worried about with Braden Mann is he's going to boot, he's going to outboot his coverage unit, which he did consistently at Texas A&M, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone when you're kicking the ball like 50 yards down the field uh, on the regular, but the Jets kind of have a workaround to it because they have some of the fastest gunners in the NFL, which isn't really talked about a lot. It's not, it's not a position we talk about, but it's, it's a position that gets people on, on their roster. Trenton Cannon ran, r- runs like a 4-3. Uh, Jeff Smith had that role at a point last year before he was injured. He runs a 4-2-7. The Jets brought in Javelin Gidry as an undrafted free agent. He ran a 4-2-7. So the, the Jets are really looking to bolster that speed, not just on the offense and the defense, but on the special teams, because they know – to take full advantage of a guy who can put the ball 50 yards down the field, you have to actually get there to, to limit to limit returns. And I think Braden Mann is trying to figure out the kind of a balance here where he can turn his booming leg into more of a weapon. Because, you know, it's all great when you can kick the ball 60 yards down the field, but if they're getting 15-yard returns every time, it's not going to really mean much. So it's, some, it's definitely something to watch. And for the crowd who says – uh, the Jets shouldn't have drafted him because they could have gotten a punter in undrafted free agency, whatever it was. I mean, yeah, a lot of punters do make it to undrafted free agency. Braden Mann wouldn't have. Uh, mm-hmm. He talked about how he knew the Jets were interested. He was one of the they were they were one of the three teams that talked to him. But in the seventh round, Sterling Hoffrichter, another punter who from Syracuse, very different punter, very similar to Lockman Edwards in that uh, he had a uh, great hang time. Uh, his net average and and his punting average were almost identical. They were like within a yard of each other, which is just absolutely absurd. He gets drafted by the Falcons. And so he's, he's there. So Braden Mann absolutely wouldn't have been there. And then the other part, part of that argument is that 
most six rounders don't work out. So why mm-hmm. not take why not take a punter who you can guarantee is going to be a starter on your team for like the next four or five years? Um, yeah, uh, not to, sorry, not to cut you off, but I was just going to add that you know it wasn't like they. I mean, at that point too, or six rounder, you're taking a chance no matter what. But it wasn't like they they had all these holes to fill because you know you get Bryce Hall, so you get you add something to the cornerback. You take the two offensive linemen, so you kind of fix up the offensive line a little bit. They got their backup quarterback. They got some offensive weapons. They get an edge rusher. Take a chance on a guy. It's like they all the the boxes that the Jets really needed to check in the draft. And I'm not saying all these guys are going to work out, but they needed to check a lot of boxes, and they got that. And then they have the Braden Man pick. I'm fine with it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to complain about drafting a punter, especially, like you said, how many six-round picks are starters? I know it's a punter, so take that with a grain of salt, but how many six-round picks become immediate starters? doesn't happen often. I, I honestly wouldn't have been surprised if the Jets had taken a kicker with their next pick. Obviously, they traded it for mm-hmm. Quincy Wilson, but right now their kicking situation is Sam Ficken, who made, like, less than 70% of his field goals last year, versus Brett Maher, who also made less than 70% of his field goals last year. So it's, it's, not, it's not the greatest situation. Uh, I know the Jets are probably, I, I think, uh, handicapping it myself, they're probably looking at Brett Maher, who has a stronger leg. The Jets love their strong leg kickers. Uh, Maher's actually the only kicker in NFL history to have made at least three kicks of, from 60-plus yards, and he did that within two years. So he, he's definitely someone I think they're looking at, and they're, they're, they might feel comfortable with him and whatever. And, you know, kickers are a lot easier to come by. But, again, the Jets didn't pick one up in, in undrafted free agency. And special teams are definitely something to watch out for this year because it's not the greatest unit. Uh, Vincent Smith was really good in his limited reps as a kick returner, but, again, they were limited. And we don't even know if Vincent Smith is going to make the roster right now because, you know, after the mm-hmm. first three receivers, it's so wide open. Uh, the punt returner is Brax, Braxton Berrios, who was second in net uh, return average last year, which is – you know, fantastic, but also his longest return was 24 yards, which was like 20th uh, among mm-hmm. punt returners. And he, and his, uh, so it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's a game. Brant Boyer is very good at his job. He is, he, he turned a unit that was towards the bottom of the league for like four or five years in a row into one that's been, that was the best in football with two all pros in 2018. And then was again, top five this past year. So if there's anyone who's going to be able to work with this unit and like teach a guy like Braden Mann and get the most out of their kickers and uh, returns, it's going to, it's going to be Brand Boyer. And with that in mind, I would actually keep him in mind for the future as we're looking towards uh, head coaching jobs. Cause it's not often special teams guys get those kinds of options, but when you're, when you have a unit that's has as much turnover as the Jets unit does and is still putting in top five performance after top five performance, you can you can very quickly work your way into a conversation, especially since he's lasted through a head coach already here. So if the Jets move on from say Adam Gase, don't be surprised if Brant Boyer ends up with a with a head coach interview. Yeah, and he, I mean, you see you see special teams guys get jobs. I mean, you know, look across to the Giants. You know, you get Joe Judge, then you know Harbaugh had you know experience as a special teams guy. So you see these special teams guys, you know, because. 
I guess I, I mean I don't I don't know the mind of you know NFL GMs and whatnot, but you know sometimes when you get the offensive guy, it's like they worry too much about the offense. Sometimes you get the Rex Ryan guy who worries too much about the defense. Sometimes maybe these you know these GMs and these owners they want a guy who's more of a you know like a he he handles everything can can do everything, and I think that's part of the reason why the Giants went with a guy like Joe Judge. Um, as opposed to, you know, one of these, you know, offensive gurus or, you know, defensive-minded guys. You see that. And um, Brant Boyer, he's no Mike Westoff, but I like Brant Boyer. He's, he's still a very, very good coach. And, um, you know, we'll see how this, this uh, special teams unit does because it's, it's cliche, but special teams does change games. You know, like one deep punt can give, you know, the Jets great field position, you know, coming back. It's like one one great special teams play. How many times do we see it, you know, completely change a game? You know, with the Jets just last year, they the defense was top five in the NFL in yards allowed per uh, per drive, yet they were like 20-something in uh, mm-hmm. points allowed. And it's, it's simple why. They have the second worst average starting field position in the NFL. So if you turn – uh, Lachlan Edwards in that second worst starting field position into, you know, just league average. How, how much, how many fewer points are they allowed? How many fewer field goals? How many less touchdowns? You know, it's, it's all about being able to flip the field. And as much as I personally liked Lachlan Edwards, I thought he uh, had the potential to be a top 10 punter in the league. It never really worked out. Uh, I think Braden Man has the chance to be more than that. I think Braden Man could be immediately like one of the top 10, maybe top five punters in football. His numbers in 28, at, at 2018 in Texas A&M would have put him almost at the top of every punting category in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, he, he's a guy who has that potential. And it's not that – and it wouldn't be that unsurprising to see a guy like him uh, show out like that. Just last year you saw in Cleveland Jamie Gilliam, uh, the Scottish Hammer, uh, came out and he was immediately like a top five, top 10 punter in football. It wouldn't surprise me in the least to see Braden Mann do that. And if he does, it could mean huge things just for the Jets defense, which in turn could mean huge things for the offense because they're getting better field position. Yeah, no, it's, <clears throat> it really is something that like I overlook it. I think every fan does at a certain point, but having that solid punter in there can, can really change games without you even, you know, without even noticing it. Um, but yeah, so we, we kind of went through every, everyone in the draft. I think we covered everybody there. Now let's move on to the, uh, the nitty gritty of next season. It's early, obviously, but what is your, I mean, we had the schedule and everything like that, so it's not so, so early, but what is your outlook for the Jets next year? Do you think playoffs are a possibility? Do you think they're going to be, you know, kind of at the bottom of the division again for, you know, the umpteenth year in a row? Or is this a team that's going to just kind of have a steady come up? Um, where, where do you see the 2020 Jets? It's hard to say. The, the, the AFC East is wide open. The Dolphins, despite their giant, flashy free agent, didn't really add impact talent. They, they added Byron Jones, and him and Xavier Howard are going to be uh, a good cornerback duo, though I've talked at length before about why I don't think Xavier Howard is as good as some of the numbers say he is. I think he's very similar to, to a guy like Trumaine Johnson, who mm-hmm. hides his poor coverage number, numbers with a ton of interceptions. Um, but him and Byron Jones uh, should make, you know, one of the better cornerback duos in football because Byron Jones is one of those guys who is an uber-elite corner who just doesn't get interceptions. So they kind of complement each other well in that kind of a way. Uh, 
Uh, but I don't really think they're going to be on a huge rise because they still haven't figured out their quarterback. Their offensive line was the worst in football last year, and the biggest, uh, the biggest move they made for that was to bring in Eric Flowers, uh, who, isn't the great, who, who isn't the greatest even, even with his resurgence yeah. at guard. Because, you know, Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt, two guys uh, who they drafted, aren't really going to be ready for, for opening week. They're just – they're very raw talents. Uh, Robert Hunt is a guy most prognosticators, myself included, thought was going to move to guard. Apparently the, the, uh, the, the Dolphins want to try him at right tackle first. So that's going to be something that will be an issue. Uh, Austin Jackson was destroyed by top-end talent. There's, you can go and watch Iowa, and he was uh, demolished routinely by A.J. Epinesa, who will be in division mm-hmm. with, with the Bills this year. So it's, I, I don't really see them – pushing that far I really I, I could also see Tua not taking a snap this year just because uh they want to protect him until they have that stronger offensive line because even behind the best offensive line in college football at Alabama he still had uh two ankle injuries and a dislocated hip where he needed to have three surgeries in two years two surgeries in one year last year so he might be coming up but these are huge injuries like a dislocated hip ended Bo Jackson's career like this isn't a this isn't a small injury no matter how much uh, these the two uh, and the Dolphins want to play this off so I, I still think they're definitely at the bottom of the division but then the other three could who knows I don't think Jarrett Stidham is going to lead the Patriots to uh to the into the future mm-hmm. I, I just don't think he's a very good quarterback and I don't think Brian Hoyer is going to be much better but that defense is still elite. Stefan Gilmore is still there JC Jackson's still there uh, Dante Hightower is still there. Lawrence Guy is still there. Like they're, they're not going to crumble from the best unit in football to a unit that's not going to play very well because they lost guys like Jamie Collins and Kyle Van Noy. Like the, the Patriots routinely siphon these guys out. This isn't even the first time they lost Jamie Collins in the last three years. Yeah, they always that, – that's like Bill Belichick's MO is, you know, just cycle in new guys, new guys. But that's the one thing. The defense is all – you know, almost every year is always one of the best in football yeah. or, you know, good enough to win essentially, which uh, – Obviously, Patriots are going to be, you know, it's going to be different. Without Brady and kind of, you know, changing things up with Stidham, it's going to be very, very different. But I, I'm not going to bet against Bill Belichick yet. Yeah, I would compare the Patriots this year similar to the Jets last year, actually. So if you look at it, they have an elite defense there, but the offense is barren. Like, mm-hmm. it might be the worst wide receiving core in football with Julian Edelman, who's getting up there in age now. Mohamed Sanu was atrocious after the trade last year. Uh, and Keel Harry was a no-show. He had less than 200 yards in his rookie year. Uh, Jacoby Myers was an undrafted free agent. He kind of showed out last year, but, you know, his role is kind of blocked by, by guys like Edelman who play in the slot. Uh, they have really nothing at tight end. They just drafted two guys, Dalton Keene and uh, Devin Assisi. Uh, we'll see if they uh, kind of break out. Uh, I think Bill Belichick is kind of envisioning uh, a, cor- uh, a sort of a uh, blocking receiving core with them with uh, Dalton Keene who's a very good blocker and didn't really put up numbers at uh, Virginia Tech and Devin Assisi who's a very poor blocker but can be a vertical stretcher of the field so it'll be interesting to see how they work it but I, I just don't see the how the offense is going to carry them to enough wins for them to be uh, a competitive playoff team but you, you never know because we have a seventh seed this year starting this year so there's an extra playoff team each year so eight and eight could get you into the playoffs. The Jets would have been that's, one game out of the playoffs last year. That's a really had, good point. Had, had the Jets, with a seven seed, had the Jets just held on to that 16 nothing lead against the Bills in week one, they would have been mm. the seventh team. So it's, it's, not, it's not 
that hard to see a team like the Bills or a team like the Patriots, who even though they don't have the best quarterback, sneaking into the playoffs because their defense is just so good that they don't have to put up 20 or 25 points a game. Uh, and then we get to the Bills, and the Bills might have the most stacked roster uh, in the league. Like, it's that the defense is arguably the best in football. Uh, they do get another year older and on an older defense that can be an issue, but tr- their, their, their top guys are still young. Tredavious White is still there. That safety core of Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer is still there. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds is one of the best linebackers in football, and he just turned like 22 or 23. So he's still incredibly young. Ed Oliver is still there. They just added AJ Epinesa. So, like, it, it's, it, that defense is not going away anytime soon. Like, it's going to be mm-hmm. elite for, for as long as we can think. The question is just going to be about Josh Allen. That, that team is going to be good enough to win this division and possibly even the Super Bowl. But Josh Allen's going to have to show more because he was just not good. Like, he, John, John Brown had a breakout season uh, last year with his second 1,000-yard season. Cole Beasley kind of had a resurgence season. He topped 800 yards. But, I mean, Josh Allen still completion percentage towards the bottom of the league. He fumbled like 18 times and mm-hmm. only lost yeah. like two of them. He threw the most interceptable passes in the league and was only intercepted like 10 times. Eventually the luck is going to run out. He, like, he throws like, he, it, to me, and like you, you're, you're more into like the scouting and prospecting and like all that stuff. But to me, like he's got such a crazy strong arm, but it's like every once in a while you see him, he just throws up these ducks that are just, you know, Something they don't all get picked off because you know he'll overthrow sometimes or whatever. But to me, sometimes he throws these passes, and it's like, how how does someone with such a strong arm, you know, throw like this weird, weak looking pass kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's a mechanics thing, but it's also an interesting point to bring up because look, when Josh Allen is brought up, and even from the time he was uh, a draft prospect, it's always been the big play potential, the big play potential, the big play potential. He can mm-hmm. run, he can throw, he can do whatever that. He has the worst throwing accuracy on deep passes in the NFL. Second, second least is Sam Darnold, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, <laughs> jo- Josh Allen, the, the big arm has always been the talking point, and he just doesn't take advantage of it. Like, it, it just, it's, it's just not there. And if you go back and you rewatch that, that playoff game against the Texans, that offense worked really well when they took the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. They said, Devin Singletary, you're going to run. We're going to run some end arounds. We're going to run some screens. Josh Allen, you're going you're gonna to run the football. And then he started throwing the football, and their, their early lead evaporated. Uh, they, they almost lose. The one play that stands out to me is maybe the most Josh Allen play I can think of was late in that game when he takes off uh, on, like, a third down and, and, and medium, and he gets the first down, like, by five yards, and then decides to pitch it to nobody. And the ball is just on the, the ball is on the ground and he could have cost the bills the game right there. Obviously the bills recover it and you know, they go on, they do eventually lose that game, but it wasn't because of that singular play, but that, that's just what continuously happens with Josh Allen. It seems no matter what trouble he seems to find himself in some sort of luck or uh, maybe it's, maybe it's a skill that he is, that he's that lucky. Uh, (laughs) He's able to figure out a way that so that those mistakes don't end up costing him but then you look at the numbers and that offense barely put up uh that offense put up less than 20 points a game last year put up like 19.8 points a game uh and they won games because the defense held opponents like 13 points a game when you're holding opponents to less than two touchdowns a game 
your offense can be pretty awful and still win you win you games. And Josh Allen's going to have to step up this year against a much more difficult schedule with teams like the 49ers and the Rams. And, you know, obviously coming in second place in the division, they're going to have to play uh, other, like, top-end teams like the Steelers with Big Ben back, or they're going to have to play them. They're going to have to play the Colts with Phillip Rivers this year. That's not going to be an easy game. So if Josh Allen doesn't take that next step with guys like Stephon Diggs mm-hmm. in and now a full year of uh, Dev- Devin Singletary – it's going gonna, it's gonna to be an issue, and it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, Bills offensive line kind of holds up because they allowed the third most pressures in football last year. So are they going to be able to, to, stand, to stand steady after guys had career years like John Feliciano and guys like Mitch Morris who have had huge concussion issues were able to stay healthy? And that's another issue with the Bills too. They had everybody stay healthy last year. No, no, no starter missed a significant amount of time last year compared to the Jets who had – uh, some of the mo- who I think had the third most salary cap on the injured list last year. So, you know, can the Bills stay that healthy again, especially when their quarterback is like that risk that that risky? It just doesn't happen two years in a row. It, it rarely happens at all. Like I, I mean, you can't it, those. It's impossible to predict those. But you can't be going into a year, you know, expecting to be completely healthy all the way through. And are the Bills are they going to be good enough to overcome? you know, an injury to, you know, like Stefan Diggs or something, you know, like not to, not to put that out into the universe or anything. Cause I don't want anyone to get injured, but, but it's just going to happen. That's just football. It's just a fact of life. Yeah. So they're a very volatile team. I could see the bills going, running away with this division and potentially heading to the Super Bowl that next step. And he shows he's a franchise quarterback. If he doesn't take that next step, I could see them wilting against a much more difficult schedule, especially since the teams in the division have improved other than the mm-hmm. Patriots, but they lost to the Patriots twice last year. And that defense kind of shut down Josh Allen and Matt Barkley in, in those games. So it'll, it'll be interesting. And then we, get, we finally get to the Jets, mm-hmm. and we look at this team, and we, we have a tough schedule. The Jets have the second hardest schedule based on strength of, uh, strength of uh, schedule from the year before, which I think is a little bit – uh, a little bit uh, off-putting and a little bit uh, incorrect, really, because a lot of that is based on playing teams like the Bills and the Pats twice, and you know, 13-3 and three and 11-5 and five last year, and I don't know that those teams are that good. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think this is a year that 9-7 and seven can win you this division, maybe even 8-8, eight and eight, because I just don't think the teams are really that great. So when you look at the Jets and you say, okay, can the offensive line gel quickly and be improved? Because if it is, then that means Sam Darnold will finally have a base to work with here. And if, and if Sam Darnold's working well and the passing game is working well, Le'Veon Bell is going to have more opportunities to run the football. And then the offense kind of snowballs into a place where maybe it's, you know, not like one of the best in football, but maybe it's, you know, around average. Maybe it's like 15th to 20th in the league. And is that going to be good enough when you have uh, one of the better defenses in football with guys like Jamal Adams, uh, hopefully an improved secondary with Pierre Desir and whoever's the opposite playing opposite him, getting C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson back in the middle of that defense is going to be absolutely massive mm-hmm. after the poor play from Neville Hewitt and James Burgess the year before. So I think the Jets have a lot to gain if they can stay healthy and if they can, uh, and if they can get what they want at, out of this team. I think the biggest question here is going to be how Adam Gase adjusts. Because Adam Gase loves his quick passing and he loves uh, his short – passes. Sam Darnold does not. Sam Darnold uh, 
prefers to make plays on his own. He doesn't like to dump off a screen and say, get his wide receivers out in open space and make a move. Just like Sam Darnold would rather take that shot 50 yards down the field than take a five-yard gain for a first down uh, with his legs. He, he's always looking for the biggest play next. That's the, uh, the Oakland game. Yeah, get with the Oakland game with uh, Robbie Anderson, where mm-hmm. he's, he's, he literally needs to take two steps and get the first down. Instead, he throws a ball into triple coverage and ends up getting like a 35-yard gain out of Robbie Anderson. And that happens more often than Jets fans want, because it more often than not, it does not work out. And part of the reason, and that's part of the reason we see Sam Darnold has the second worst uh, completion percentage on passes 20 yards or further down the field. It's, it's not where he excels, but he loves taking those shots. Where he really does excel is in, those, in the intermediate passes, especially in the intermediate passes uh, outside the numbers. So when we're going towards the sidelines and we're looking at dig routes and in routes and curls and comebacks, those are where Sam Darnold excels, and he really wasn't given the opportunity to excel in those routes under Adam Gase last year. And part of the reason for that was the wide receiving core. I don't know how many times I can, we can go back and watch those games and see Robbie Anderson not come back on a comeback route and have to go down and try and catch a ball that should have been easy. Or how, how many times we saw uh, Demarius Thomas not break hard enough to the outside and not get the separation needed to make a play. which And all of that forces Sam Darnold to look towards the middle of the field or to scan the field longer than he needs to, which leads to sacks and which leads to shorter passes to Jamison Crowder. Like in week one, when Crowder had like 14 receptions for 99 yards, the most receptions ever without breaking 100 yards. Like that shouldn't happen. That, that should never happen by design. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how Adam Gase adjusts to Sam Darnold, and it's going to be interesting to see how Sam Darnold adjusts to his new receivers with guys like Rashad Perriman, who are so great deep, uh, uh, the deep ball, but who struggle kind of route running in the intermediate and short, uh, areas of the ball. And, uh, it'll certainly be interesting to see what happens with, uh, with drops this year as well. Cause Sam Darnold had, something like 6.2% of his passes dropped last year. Uh, Rashad Perriman dropped a pass in two years. He has two drops in his career. So that's something to look forward to if you're a Jets fan mm-hmm. because it means you have someone who has solid hands. But on the other hand, Jamison Crowder had a 6% drop rate last year. And Denzel Mims dropped 15 passes in the last two years at, uh, at Baylor. So is this going to be an issue that gets better or is it going to get worse? And so if – and if it gets worse, does that mean Sam Darnold's going to want to take even more chances downfield because he does not trust his receivers? Because that, that seems to be a huge issue with him, which we're just like he doesn't want to drop it off to Le'Veon Bell or Jamison Crowd because he doesn't trust that they're going to get the yak needed, or because he doesn't want to give, or because he doesn't feel that uh, Robbie Anderson's going to finish his route, which we saw a ton of last year. One play that stands out to me was against uh, Oakland where Sam Darnold threw the ball down to the five-yard line. It could have been an overthrow. I, I don't know, because Robbie Anderson stops running his route 10 yards before the ball gets there. So we, we need to see more discipline out of this receiving core. Because even if the receivers – even if the offensive line is great and Sam Darnold finally gets that, uh, that those looks that he needs, it's not going to really matter much if the receivers aren't getting open or if they aren't – or if they're dropping passes. So – and, you know, if Adam Gase is scheming an offense around – uh, what Darnold is uh, is good at, instead of scheming it for that, it's then then we're gonna we're gonna certainly have have issues uh, yet again. So it's 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 gonna be an interesting dynamic. And then obviously defensively, we have Greg Williams. We know what Greg Williams is gonna mm-hmm. want to do. He's gonna want to bring pressure. He's gonna want to play zone. 
Uh, he's added as many zone defenders as he possibly could this offseason. Uh, and, you know, with, you know, you're going to get great safety play. Marcus May, obviously one of the better uh, uh, cover single one high safeties in the league. He only allowed 50% completion percentage and one touchdown last year. Uh, Jamal Adams, of course, the best safety in football. can do Yeah, whatever. hands down. The, the defense is going to be good. Whether it's top 10 or not, again, this year is, is going to be a debate or not. But, you know, it's going to be above average. So can the offense get what it needs to? I think right now I'd probably put the Jets at somewhere around 7-9 and nine or 9-7 nine and seven again because I think the schedule is much more difficult than last year. I think you could see the Jets go 7-9 and nine or 6-10 and 10 and be an improved team from a year ago just because that's how much more difficult the schedule is. But I would be shocked if the Jets aren't competing at least for a seventh, for the seventh seed, if not in the division this year. Um, but I certainly think this is a make-or-break year for both Darnold and Gates. If, if the Jets aren't at least in the conversation for a playoff spot, I, I don't think Gates can keep his job. Yeah, year I two. think – yeah, they, they, they have to at least compete for the playoffs. If they miss it, I can see a scenario where he comes back. But if they're, you know, not even really in the playoff hunt, then I think it's, you know, it's curtains for Gase. And with, with Sam Darnold, I mean, you know, this is year three for him. Even quarterbacks who, are, who have been slow to get off the blocks, and I always point to Matt Ryan, who had very similar numbers to what uh, Sam Darnold was putting up. I think he actually had worse numbers. Uh, he, he had his first 4,000-yard uh, season as in his third year. That was his breakout year, and he took that the rest of his career. Like, this is year three for Darnold. He needs to he needs to show that he can be that guy. Last year he had he showed glimpses. His uh, per sixteen game numbers were pretty good, but you know the turnovers are, are an issue, especially the interceptions, and the uh, the yards per attempt are an issue. With six point nine yards per attempt is not going to cut it in the NFL, and I think a lot of that has to do with the scheming of the offense from Gase, who prefers those shorter passes. And I think a lot of it has to do with Sam Darnold. Uh, feeling that he needs to take shots. And when he's not taking those uh, intermediate passes and he's missing so many deep shots, the only thing that's piling up those stats and those yards are those short passes. And they just keep coming and coming and coming and coming. And when the running game doesn't work and when you're not hitting on those deep shots when you have them, it doesn't work. So I, the Jets team is it's volatile. There's a lot of variables here that – make me question whether or not the team is going to be good enough to compete for a playoffs uh, with the offensive line and wide receivers being such huge question marks. But I think if everything hits right, this Jets team could not only make the playoff, but could win the division. I'm going to say my prediction. At, at their worst. They're go ahead. Go ahead. I cut you off. I was just, I'm going to, because. I was going to say at their worst, they're. Yeah, all right, now we're jumping on each other. You go, you go. I was just going to say, at, at their worst, I, I, I think they could be bottom of the division. I think they could be picking top five, especially if another injury comes for Sam Darnold. Yeah, I think, obviously, the injuries are a big, big variable that we can't really predict. Um, and since um, I'm on record saying I'm, you know, an unbiased or a, a completely, I meant completely biased fan, I'm predicting 10 and six and they win the division, but uh, I, I can see, I can see what you're saying about the volatility and how, you know, they can kind of go up and down. Uh, but I'm just finishing up here. I'm going to put you on the spot 
and I'll, I'll give you another chance later on because we'll do another Jets pod, you know, before the season, obviously. Um, what's your, what's your, your official prediction right now for a win-loss record? I'll put the Jets at uh, nine and seven, I'll say. Uh, I think they'll, they'll win a few surprising games. I think, I think uh, especially you're going to see, I think, one game to keep an eye on is when San Francisco comes in. No one's going to give the Jets a chance in that game. It's not easy to go cross-country, and it's especially not easy to go cross-country that early in the season when you have limited training camp and limited preseason workouts. So that – and especially when uh, the 49ers love, love, love to run the football and the Jets have maybe the best run defense in, in the league. So I think I think they're going to shock a few people in, in, in a few games here here and there, but I, I still I still think nine and seven is around where they'll finish, and I think they'll they'll at least be in the running for the seventh seed. I think that's a fair fair assessment, and I hope I hope you're wrong because I hope the Jets go fifteen and one, they win the Super Bowl, and Sam Darnold's MVP and all that good stuff. But I guess uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to reconvene on a pod when that happens. Um, but yeah, I think for for now, that's, I mean, the draft stuff we covered all that. Um, there's going to be more more Jets news coming up, you know, the next few months as things start to you know open up training camps and whatnot. Um, but we'll uh, we'll we'll get we'll get to that stuff uh, a little bit later in, in another pod. Um, thanks again for coming on, Kyle. Really appreciate the time and uh, all the insight into the draft stuff because that's, like I said, that's not my uh, that's not my forte. That's not my uh, area of expertise the NFL draft. So it's good to, uh, good to get some insight on these guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. I love, I love the draft stuff, uh, football, baseball, you know, and anything I can get my hands on. I, I, I love the scouting part of the game. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. That's good stuff. So thanks again for uh, anyone listening. I know this was a long one, but uh, I, I want our, you know, I did a giants one and then a jets one. I wanted to have these ones get really in depth because it's my first, uh, first football pods we've done for the uh, small ball radio so wanted to get all that in so again listeners thanks and uh we'll catch you next week